We continue our look at the Heidelberg Catechism that we're looking through in the evenings uh, this, as we go through this year. And uh, we're at the place where we've been looking at the, the Apostles' Creed, and particularly the section that talks about the Holy Spirit. Now, I call it a section, but it's really only one phrase in the Apostles' Creed, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. And the Catechism itself only has one question and answer that deals with the Spirit, which we looked at a few weeks ago. But we're expanding on that because I think that the Spirit de- deserves some, some attention, particularly about not only who the Spirit is, but uh, the kind of work He does in our lives. And so that's what we've been looking at. And so kind of hard to come up here and have us recite the same catechism question week after week. Uh, but instead, I'm going to turn to one of our other confessions, which we've looked at in the past already a little bit, and that's the Belgic Confession, Article 24. If you want to follow along, you don't have to read with, read with me or anything like that, but if you want to follow along, it's on page 840 in the back of your Grey Psalter hymnals. And I'm just going to read the first half of the article, uh, which is entitled The Sanctification of Sinners, but it really talks about the Holy Spirit and the role that the Holy Spirit uh, plays in our lives. We looked a little bit at the very first uh, paragraph a few weeks ago um, that talks about the Holy Spirit and His regenerating work, but then it continues on talking about His sanctifying work. And that's going to be the focus, that was the focus of our last message. It's going to be the focus of the next two weeks as we kind of wind up our look at the Holy Spirit. So, uh, Article 24, I'm just going to read page 840 in the, in the back of the Grace Altar hymnal if you want to follow along. This is what it has to say about the Holy Spirit. It's just been talking about true faith, and, and the writers write, We believe that this true faith, produced in man by the hearing of God's Word and by the work of the Holy Spirit, regenerates him and makes him a new man, causing him to live the new life and freeing him from the slavery of sin. Therefore, far from making people cold toward living in a pious and holy way, this justifying faith, quite to the contrary, so works within them that apart from it, they'll they'll never do a thing out of love for God, but only out of love for themselves and fear of being condemned. So then it's impossible for this holy faith to be unfruitful in a human being. That's going to be a key word that we focus on as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, It's impossible for this holy faith to be unfruitful in a human being, seeing that we do not speak of an empty faith, but of what Scripture calls faith working through love, which leads a man to do by himself the works that God has commanded in his word. These works, proceeding from the good root of faith, are good and acceptable to God, since they are all sanctified by His grace. Yet they do not count toward our justification, for by faith in Christ we are justified, even before we do good works. Otherwise they could not be good, any more than the fruit of a tree could be good if the tree is not good in the first place. So we're going to get into some of that idea of good works later on in the catechism, but I wanted to to remind us that it's the Holy Spirit's role to to help bring up, raise that fruit in our lives 
a fruit which we can also call good works, which, again, is not attributed to our justification. It has nothing to do with being saved, but it has to do with those who are saved will naturally want to live out those good works, that kind of fruit in their lives. And then I'd invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we'll be looking at this uh, passage, particularly the part about the fruit of the Spirit the, next week as well, uh, but we'll add another scripture to it next week. But Galatians 5, I want to focus particularly not on the, the fruit of the Spirit by looking at each single one of them, but rather by looking at them as a whole and as, as a whole the role of the Holy Spirit in our role in cooperating with the Holy Spirit. So as we've been doing this uh, series and talking about the Holy Spirit, the first thing we talked about is, is we asked the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And we noted that the Holy Spirit is presented by Jesus and presented in the Bible as a personal being, third member of the Trinity, yes, but a person, like the Father and like the Son. And uh, Jesus talks about him with personal pronouns, and, and uh, the Spirit has talked about doing things that are, are things that persons do. And so while he's spirit, he is also personal. And of course, the most important personal uh, connection that we have is the Spirit speaks to our spirit, testifying that we are God's children. That's, a, that's the key way that he is personal for us. He, he's our personal con connection to the Trinity, if you will. Uh, but then we said, you know, the Spirit's not just a, a third member of the Trinity. He also has a roles in our lives. And one of those roles is regeneration. Now, of course, justification or regeneration is, is something we attribute normally to Jesus. The two problems with, two of the three problems with our Sin is that we have guilt because of our sin and we are liable to punishment because of it. And Jesus died on the cross to take care of both those problems, to relieve us from the guilt and to take our punishment. But the Holy Spirit also has a role in that, in that we're dead in our sins, Paul says, and so we can't accept what Jesus has done unless the Holy Spirit regenerates us and gives us the faith to accept it. Once he's given us the faith to accept justification, then the Holy Spirit takes over in what we call sanctification to make us more and more like Jesus, to renew us in that image of Christ that was shattered at the fall. And uh, so he has a role in our sanctification as well. We talked about that a little bit last time. But sanctification, unlike justification, is, uh, is an action of God that we join him with. We... We, are not, we can't do anything toward our justification. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Not a, not a thing. But sanctification is where God calls us to join him, to join the Spirit's work. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit these next two weeks as we talk about our living by the Spirit and our loving by the Spirit. So we start with our living by the Spirit, and let's look at Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16. Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16, where Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... 
you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus, Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now we're going to visit, revisit some of those verses, so you may want to keep your Bibles open, but let's, uh, let's come in prayer to the Spirit. Holy Spirit, as you inspired these words written by Paul, reflecting the truths of, of the Christian faith, we pray that you would now inspire these words to us to help each of us know what you're calling us to do, what steps we need to take in our lives based on this passage. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that we might be open uh, to your leading and that we might keep in step as we walk with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, last time, a couple weeks ago, we talked about sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit done within us to cleanse us and to cause us to grow. But while sanctification is a work of the Spirit, we also noted that it's one work that God wants us to cooperate with, to be part of. And so our look at the Holy Spirit is really incomplete without looking at the fruit the Spirit produces in our lives. Now, Paul talks to us in verse 16 and says, walk by the Spirit. Some versions will have live by the Spirit. It's the same, it can be the same word uh, in Greek, but the walking takes kind of prominence there. And I think what he's doing is he's reminding us by using that word walk that the Christian life is a journey. And of course, in the Bible times, most of the journeys were taken by walking. They were taken uh, by foot in the Bible. And so the journey is not a quick, a quick run down to Kalamazoo or a quick run out to Lansing or to the grocery store. It's a journey. It's a process. It takes time. And so does the process of sanctification. It's a process that takes a while. And throughout that process, the sinful nature tries to choke out the influence of the Spirit. And while the battle is largely internal, we can also see external results. When the Spirit is victorious in that battle, we see the fruit of his work. When the flesh wins, we also see the outward evidence of that. And Paul really notes both in Galatians 5, and that's, those are the two things we're going to look at briefly this evening, that sanctification involves killing the weeds but also growing the fruit. Two parts to it. So first, killing the weeds. The result of the sinful nature in our lives looks like, to keep the metaphor consistent, a field overgrown by weeds, one that no one would mistake for crops. And Paul lists some of those weeds. Verses 19 through 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. When the sinful nature is in control, it's obvious, Paul says. We start to look weedy. Now, Paul here names several sorts of weeds. And I would guess that we often focus more on the the grosser sins. Sexual immorality, wild living, witchcraft, drunkenness, orgies. and, And we say, hey, we don't do any of that. We must be pretty good. But there are plenty of weeds that leave room for conviction. Impurity. In thought. Language, jokes, idolatry. That seems like a no-brainer, except idolatry is defined as anything that takes the place of God. An idol is anything that takes the place of God or that kind of shoves God out of the way for a while. Are there any things in our lives that are our idols that kind of overshadow God in our life? Hatred. Do we ever have hateful thoughts? Discord. Are we ever contentious? Do we ever start or fuel battles? Envy. Jealousy. Has anyone ever been really free from those? But Paul says these weeds are not characteristic of a Christian. In fact, if these characterize a person, the lifestyle of a person consistently, that person may not be a Christian. This is not what a Christian looks like, Paul says. However, he tells us in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We have to be about the process of crucifying the sinful nature and taking down those weeds Because it's not to say that a Christian never exhibits any of these weeds. Just as any field with crops is going to have some weeds, so the traits of the sinful nature creep into our lives. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, weeds are natural. Not just in the created world, but natural in our lives as well. Fruit, on the other hand, must be worked at in the created world, but also in our spiritual lives. But for Christians, the Holy Spirit helps us crucify the sinful nature. You could say that he's sprayed our sinful nature with Roundup, replowed and replanted. Now, that doesn't mean the weeds won't return, but when they do, we can't simply let them grow because they spread and steal nutrients from our fruit. Nutrients like our energy, our time, our money, and the like. So the Holy Spirit helps us crucify the sinful nature as he starts the process of sanctification. But again, it's a process, an ongoing process, in which we need to continually fight for control. So what's our role in this? Well, you look at that list 
that Paul has here. Sexual immorality, wild living, witchcraft, drunkenness, orgies, fits of rage, impurity, idolatry, hatred, discord, dissensions, factions, envy, jealousy, selfish ambition. And maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you today to say, hey, there's some of these you need to take a look at. Maybe you use this list as your own self-evaluation. As you look at this list of sinful acts, you might say, which of these weeds have you killed off and burned? You're pretty satisfied that these are not part of your life. Maybe they never have been. Which of them maybe are weeds you've chopped off, but the root's still there, threatening to grow again if you don't watch out? And are there some weeds that are alive and well in your life, threatening to take control? One of the ways we cooperate with the Holy Spirit is to lay our lives bare before Him, before God, and ask these kinds of questions. But of course, sanctification is not just about killing the weeds, it's also about growing the fruit. There's a story I've probably told before. A farmer went to a state fair and proudly boasted, I have a farm I want to enter, enter into the competition. It's bound to win a prize because there's not a single weed on it. Not a bit of poison oak, no hint of thistles, not even a trace of crabgrass. Absolutely, positively, no weeds. Well, said the registrar at the fair, what are your crops? Oh, well, I haven't produced any crops. But there's not a single weed. Getting rid of weeds alone is not sanctification. Too often we compare ourselves with verses 19 through 21 and maybe we look pretty good. And in this world, it's not that hard to look better than the next person. But rather, we should be comparing ourselves with verses 22 and 23. Because it's possible to be weedless, but also fruitless. And so Paul says, let me introduce you to what you should be looking like, what your field should be growing. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. While we are naturally, because of sin in the world, while we are naturally prone to weeds of the flesh, spiritually, Paul says, we are prone to the fruit of the Spirit. That these are what must be characteristic of a Christian life. The Spirit crucifies and controls the weeds so that we can grow the fruit. Paul describes a, the type of fruit that should be evident in a Christ, Christian's life. And again, we could do a good evaluation by just looking at this list and saying, are these true? Are these really growing in my life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're not going to look at them individually this evening. We'll do that next week. But now, we also have to recognize that it's possible that unbelievers exhibit some of these at times too. Just as we might find flowers or random crops in an unused field. What Paul is describing is a consistently fruitful life, but he's also describing fruit that grows out of our gratitude for what Jesus has done for us and not maybe to look good to other people. Anyone can tell the difference between an unused field and a productive one. An unused field will quickly revert to weeds, though there may be occasional crops. 
but a planted and tended field is systematically arranged and filled with crops. Maybe a few weeds, but it could never be mistaken for an unused field. Paul says the same is true with us. The difference is obvious, he says. So how can we have this kind of fruitful life as a Christian? Well, we can't do it alone. If we've ever tried to live out verses 22 and 23 on our own, without the Spirit's help, we'll find our efforts fruitless. Benjamin Franklin, one of the wisest people you might ever encounter, actually tried to do this in his life. He, He decided he had a whole list of virtues. The fruit of the Spirit were part of them, not all of them. And he said, I'm going to work on each one until I till I master it, and then I'll move to the next. And by the time I get through this list, I should be as near a perfect person as I could be. And by the time he got to the end of one week and started on the next one, he lost the first one and, and uh, reverted back. We tend to revert back to the weeds because sin has got a strong pull in our lives. And so we have to be careful not to think that we can do this without the Spirit's help. Living by the Spirit's the only way. So what does that mean? Well, Paul gives us a a few notes on what it means to live by the Spirit. First, in verse 16, he talked about walking by the Spirit. It's interesting. uh, Does the Pew Bible say walk or live? Verse 16. Live, right? Okay. It's interesting that the newer newer, uh, NIV went back to walk. And there's a reason for that, because they want to, because not only was that what the original word really meant, but it was, it, it really displays that idea of a process, of a, a journey. But live and walk, either one are, are appropriate uh, ways to, to uh, d- describe that word or to interpret that word. But it really fits with what Paul has to say to think about it in terms of walking by the Spirit, because then he goes on in verse 18, and he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. So part of it is walking with the Spirit is being led by the Spirit. In the endeavor of Christian growth, the Holy Spirit does the leading. Paul uses a passive verb here. The same verb used for sheep being led by a shepherd. The sheep don't lead the shepherd. They follow behind. The shepherd always leads the sheep. In the same way, the Spirit directs the process of sanctification in our lives so that we can be renewed in the image of Christ. However, sanctification is not just letting the Holy Spirit do His thing, as if our whole duty is simply to be submissive to Him. On the contrary, Paul goes on in verse 25 and says, Since we live or walk, it's interesting they went back to the word live there, since we live or walk by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is now an active verb. We are to walk actively, purposely, in the right way. The Spirit's still ahead. He's still leading. But we must keep in step, like a band marching behind a drum major. That is, we have a responsibility in our own Christian growth as well to cultivate it. And to do so, we remain involved in worship and Bible study and prayer and church programs and the like. But when we fall out of step and fail to grow, weeds are inevitably going to creep in. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we keeping in step 
with the Spirit? Or are we lagging behind and getting tripped up by the weeds? You know, we might well ask the question that was asked of Mary Mary quite contrary. How does your garden grow? Has the Holy Spirit been given a prominent place in killing the weeds and growing the fruit? There's a story about a shepherd in California who had two sheepdogs, and someone was hiking and, and fell in with the shepherd for a while. He noticed the dogs were constantly fighting, so he asked the shepherd, which one usually wins? To which the shepherd replied, the one I feeds the most. In the battle between the sinful and spiritual natures, which one do we feed the most? Let's pray. Father God, we pray that we might, by your Spirit's power and help, feed the most that spiritual power that you have given to us, that sp those spiritual gifts and those spiritual fruit that you have allowed us to have in our lives, not by any virtue of our own. And yet we we're reminded that you call us to not quench the Spirit, but to walk behind the leading of the Spirit, but always keep in step with the Spirit in our lives. So may we offer our lives to you this evening and offer uh, that the Spirit may take control and lead us where he, he will and give us the ability to so follow you in faith and, and in that process of sanctification that we might continue to grow and show this fruit as well. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond by singing together, O Master, let me walk with thee. It's number 325, if you're following along, lift up your hearts. And uh, we'll sing the four stanzas, O Master, let me walk with thee. Let's stand as we sing. <laughs>